I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Microbial world has been a rich source of medicines, but our ability to explore the full potential of the microbes both in us and around us has been limited by technology and the difficulty of culturing most microbes in a lab. Biosortia Microbiomics has developed a platform for finding, amplifying, and screening microbes as a potential source of novel small molecule drugs. We spoke to Ross Young's CEO and founder of Biosortia, about the case for exploring various microbiomes to discover new small molecule drugs, how the company's platform technology enables it to investigate a much broader range of microbes, and its business model for capitalizing on the discoveries it makes. Ross, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about Biosortia Microbiomics, what it's doing to mine microbes, and why this has the potential to lead to a new generation of drugs, agricultural, and industrial products. Let's start with the case for exploring the microbial world for new drugs and other products. What is it? Well, the case there is it has been the best source hands down. So I'll give you just a couple examples. Back in the 1950s, drug researchers really started to explore microbes via culturing, where they would grow them in the lab and grow enough of them that they could look at the chemistry. So think about uh, some of the antibiotics, including penicillin. It came from microbes, but one microbe won't give you a whole lot of penicillin. So they had to grow a lot of them. And then they could extract the penicillin, which was a small molecule. So it was a brilliant approach during the 50s, the 60s. And ultimately, culturing microbes has led to more than 50% of the drugs on the shelf today, directly, indirectly, inspirationally, one way or another. What's really interesting about microbes is it is now being found that microbes may be the producer of the metabolites in many plants, meaning microbes have even contributed to a higher proportion of the drugs on the shelf than people thought. The big challenge, less than 1% of the microbes on the planet will grow in a culture leaving the other 99% completely untapped. When we talk about small molecule drugs, there are a list of characteristics they generally share to be able to have biologic activity. How rich is the world of microbes in that regard? How drug-light are their metabolites? Well, um, using the example that they produce more than 50% of the drugs on the shelf, I would say very good. But when you talk about those properties, 
you're talking about small molecules. Um, for those that are aware of chemistry and understand that, typically under 500 molecular weight. So it's a fairly small molecule. Small molecules can get penetrate the blood-brain barrier. They can even penetrate cells, and they can even slice and dice DNA. So they're very active in the body itself and are already made by microbes for that cell-to-cell communication. So microbes were the first species on the planet, and they have evolved to basically cohabitate with all other species on the planet. And it's hard to believe this, but if you don't count woody biomass, microbes outweigh all other biomass combined. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) So you've talked about how more than half of the drugs we have on the shelf are derived from from microbes, but it's long been talked about really capitalizing on the microbial world to really invigorate the the medicine cabinet and it's it's been a despite the fact that there are so many drugs that owe their roots to that i'd say it's still hasn't materialized in the way people have anticipated how have technological developments changed our ability to scour the world of microbes and understand their potential to improve human health or other aspects of life Yeah, so I I would love to be able to address why microbes and their molecules haven't delivered since that early 50s and 60s. And, And what I would say first is in the science world, in, uh, let's say, life sciences world, sometimes in therapeutics, the shiny objects that are new look really promising and they don't always necessarily turn out that way. So in the 60s and 70s, a super chemistry kit called combinatorial chemistry really took the stage and billions of dollars for several decades were spent trying to use the super chemistry kit to make molecules that were drug-like. After all that effort, only one drug was ever approved. After that point in time, it really was the emergence of genomics, synthetic biology that really took the stage next. And even as late as the 1980s, early 1990s, researchers were writing in papers that the biosynthetic potential of unculturable microbes would be the next discovery panacea challenge was it really didn't turn out that way because when you think about the genes and them making a small molecule, which is what the programming of the genes are to do, you can't necessarily repeat all the complexities, let's say, of what's going on in biology to ensure you're going to make that complex molecule. So to date, There's been very few drugs that have come from that particular approach as well. And we hear a lot about computational approaches. Uh, You hear a lot about machine learning and AI. It's hard to believe, but that's really been around for decades as well. 
And though it shows promise, if you're working with data sets that are incomplete or wrong, or if you're working with small data sets, it doesn't allow the power of AI. So that hasn't been really productive yet either. And that that's where a new technology really needed to come in. You describe what Biosource does as microbiome mining. What do you mean by that term and what does it involve? Well, the first thing that's important, we're not indirect, we are direct. So we go direct to the natural world to obtain our microbes. Now, the problem with obtaining microbes from the natural world is you have to do it in scale and quantity. So think about what was growing in the labs and how much they'd have to scale in order to find a small molecule. The same thing needs to be done with the natural world, and no technology existed to really capture microbes at that scale or at that quality where you didn't destroy the cells or changed what they were producing, which is known as metabolic pathways. How broadly are you looking at the world of microbes? Do you limit yourself to the human microbiome, or do you go hunting in the soil, oceans, lakes, and, and elsewhere? Oh, that, that's actually a brilliant question. A human does not have enough microbiome in its body, even though the human microbiome cells outnumber the human cells. So microbes actually outnumber the human cells in the body, but they're just a fraction of the weight. So you don't get that much from one human to find molecules that are in what would be called the signaling range of biology, turning things on, off, or up, or down. You would need tens of thousands of human microbiomes collected perfectly to have the quantity and in a state where they would not degrade at all to have the quality. So getting it directly from the human industrial scale microbiome mining will never work. But what's important is there are surrogates out there that overlap the human microbiome substantially. Because the human microbiome is mostly environmentally sourced, we can look to the environment. And one of the best environments is where water is, the aquatic environment, whether it's the ocean, whether it's a bay, whether it's a river or an inland lake. There's microbiomes that overlap the human microbiome substantially. And in fact, the Terra Ocean Project showed that it's at least a 73% overlap. Now, why that 73% overlap is so substantial? Right now, the microbiome of the humans put tens of thousands of small molecules into the human body. And those small molecules are virtually unknown. And in fact, out of those tens of thousands, only 143 are known. So if you can use the surrogate microbiome of the aquatic environment, collect the quantity and quality, and then have the processes to get 
to the small molecules, you will uncover tens of thousands of small molecules that reside in the human. And they could be markers telling you what kind of disease is going on. They could be targets, something you may want to mitigate or modulate, or they could be the drugs themselves or inspiration for those drugs. That's the important part. And when you talk about this this world of microbes, is there any way to quantify it? Do we know how big an unexplored world we're actually talking about? Well, here's a really strange fact. When you look at mammals, their genetic difference is fairly small. In fact, probably 95% of the mammals on the planet are less than 10% different in genomics. One species of, let's call it yeast, might have 1,700 strains, and those strains could be 30% difference in genomics, meaning microbes are so varied that there's sometimes an argument as to whether it's a new species or a strain. So there are some people that have made a suggestion there could be a trillion species on the planet. What I would say, don't get hung up on the species, get hung up on the small molecules the species make. The small molecules are likely the true least common denominator in biology, meaning that the small molecules are what turn things on, off, up, or down, and one species of microbe may make exactly the same small molecule, and they could be different species. And that holds true with research as well. So has anybody ever truly quantified how many small molecules could be in biology or how many small molecules could be in a human? That number's yet to be known, but it is definitely a fraction of let's say the genomics uh, differentiation that could occur, or even maybe a fraction of the number of species on the planet. Biosorcia has developed a platform for hunting the microbial world. How unique is the technology you're using and the focus you're taking? It's really pretty unique. The technology was really born uh, in 2009, when uh, the energy crisis uh, at that time started to really take hold, plastic prices were going up, and we had a team that was looking at bioplastics from basically polluted water or where algae grow. Well, that algae and all those other species are a aquatic microbiome. We didn't know it at the time, but we knew we wanted to get the microbes out of the water. So we started to work on various technologies and ultimately settled on one that uses principles of physics, the adhesion of liquids to each other, and then the co-adhesion uh, or adhesion of molecules to other things. So that co-adhesion of liquids and the adhesion to solids was more like what biology does in moving liquids. So if you think of biomimicry, we started to look at trying to develop a system 
that could essentially filter water without putting a pressure differential on the filter. Ultimately, that technology, uh, we were able to produce prototypes, and then we got the first funding from the ARPA-E, the Advanced Research Projects Agency from the Department of Energy. Ultimately, 39 um, projects were funded. We got the seventh highest funding, and our technology was labeled as transformational. We were performing, I would say, very well. We're on track to hit all objectives. And then the funding got taken away from con- by Congress because of a failure of a company in California that stiffed the DOE with about a $500 million loss. So we were due to get some more funding because we were in what was called the valley of death of our technology, meaning we weren't commercially viable yet, but we showed a lot of promise. Well, we essentially got shut down at that period of time because we had no more funding and no possibility of funding. So we had to figure out what we could do with the technology. And at that point, it was brought to my attention by one of our researchers, who's now a professor at the University of Rhode Island, that we have been able to find thousands of novel small molecules at the quantity and the scale to identify unknown molecules. And we talked about that and said, is this a business model? I then did my research, reached out to the scientific community, found our chief scientist who was a natural products expert, and ultimately we shifted our business plan to finding the small molecules that could impact therapeutics but there was certainly a lot of work to do at that point. What data are you able to gather on microbes and what makes a metabolite uh, one of interest? Well, that's a, that's a great question because there may be a lot of metabolites out there that are not of interest. So it is a little bit of a, I'll say it, a shot in the dark, meaning that not necessarily all metabolites from the microbes will work as a drug. In fact, they categorically will not. And we may never figure out what all those metabolites or those small molecules do. But we do know there are small molecules and microbes that have hit uh, drug targets or that were made by microbes. For what purpose in nature, we may never know, but for what purpose as a drug we've been able to figure out. Um, and it's a complex situation. So Biosortia may find tens of thousands of unknown small molecules in a single harvest of a microbiome. And we will have to work with researchers where we bring them those molecules and they test against their targets to see if any of those hit that specific target. And that we have done and that we have seen is incredibly promising. And that's really what they were doing 60 years ago as well. One of the long-term challenges of working with microbes has been the difficulty growing them out in a lab and scaling production. 
where are we in efforts to do that? In our model, we want to be able to find the molecule, identify the molecule that has hit a target, accumulate enough of it from our natural microbiome so that we can study it, determine it, if we can derivatize it or make it better, what kind of patentability we'll be able to uh, obtain. And then we want to look, can we make it with synthetic chemistry? And that's the goal. And since we're focused on the small molecules, our odds of having a synthetic chemistry pathway to making it, since we know exactly what we want to make, is a higher probability. So we're in good shape with that as what's called GMP. Um, and if we can do that, that would be our preferred approach. Culturing would be a backup approach and synthetic biology would be the backup to the backup approach. And what's the business model for Biosourcer? Is it a contract research organization? Are you seeking to develop your own pipeline or are you doing discovery and seeking to license out novel small molecules? Oh, well, that's, that's, um, that's something that we think we've got a handle on. We're certainly open to improving that business plan or business model. But what we believe right now is we don't have to be the biotech. The biotech has a high failure rate. Some would say one in 29 success rate, which means it's a 28 and 29 failure rate. What we're looking for is leveraging the research community. We want to do what we do really, really well and get even better at it, which is go capture the microbes from the natural world, pull out their small molecules, present them to researchers. Now, we, won't, we want to be in a position um, to collect what would be licensing milestones and royalties but we don't need a high level of that from every customer. We can actually be a discount provider because we hope to be working with 400 research teams simultaneously and building a pipeline that would change our odds to 429. Having that kind of odds would say that we should be a success um, because we will have a lot of pipeline molecules moving through preclinical, ultimately into phase one, two, and three. And how do you think about therapeutic opportunities? Are there indications or areas of medicine that might be better suited for this approach than others? Well, within the last six to seven years, researchers have really understood the opportunity of the microbiome. Uh, the number of papers that have been written and published is almost unbelievable. And what we're learning is there is so many diseases tied one way or another to the human microbiome or to microbiomes outside the human microbiome. So when we think about immunomodulation, uh, oncology, metabolics, infectious diseases, um, neuro-CNS, every single one of those major areas have ties to the microbiome and opportunities. 
The other thing I'll say is with virtually all of biology's chemistry potentially having a uh, microbial uh, connection, it is possible all targets, everything that gets turned on, off, up, or down within a human, there might be a molecule residing in the microbial world that could impact that, even if it's not in the human microbiome. So the research into this area will and should extend into the entire microbial world. But I would say the richest near-term source is certainly the human microbiome and relationships to, let's call it again, a surrogate microbiome and those metabolic pathways produced by other species outside of the human. I understand you've shifted your focus from industrial to human health, but as you think about the potential for this work, where do you think the greatest opportunities for payoff are going to be ultimately? Well, I certainly think uh, um, when you talk about immunomodulation, uh, there are some very big targets that are very valuable to pharma that I think industrial scale microbiome mining will come up with those molecules. And it it could be things like autoimmune disease. It could be uh, untreatable cancer. Um, It could be um, asthma that's untreatable. It could be neuro CNS uh, issues, but there are some very valuable targets that have never been hit. Then you stretch into rare orphan and neglected diseases the opportunity there is very strong. And also within governments of the world, infectious disease, as we found out with, um, you know, the recent pandemic that we all despise, that may just crop up again. So antivirals, antibiotics, uh, being able to beat down the drug resistance uh, microbes with uh, uh, new antibacterials. All of these are substantial opportunities related to mining the microbiomes uh, at an industrial scale. At the same time, can a a researcher access a a library of enzymes from you and see their application for energy or industrial production or agriculture? We believe that agriculture will be the next biggest market area for industrial scale microbiome mining but certainly advanced energy. And I really like the idea of sustainability opportunities that we can't even envision today. So it takes a vision to understand that maybe there's a way, if we understand the microbiome of a red tide, to find a specific targeting small molecule that could inhibit or knock out red tide. Think about being able to track and monitor red tides around the world and then be able to dose them with what would essentially be a targeted herbicide and stop that red tide from causing billions of dollars of damage and health damage. Same thing with other harmful algae blooms uh, where you have uh, recreation areas that are shut down, where you have um, livestock or animals being impacted, and in this case, even humans that are being impacted by uh, the harmful algae bloom that aerosolizes or is part of uh, um, 
the water that animals may drink. There's so many opportunities in sustainability. Think about remediation, uh, where you have heavy metals or other kinds of uh, toxins that you might use microbes for, but likely there's an enzyme that that microbe's producing that makes it easier to dismantle the toxin or the target or to accumulate it. So even carbon capture becomes a potential opportunity by understanding these absolutely amazing but unknown small molecules that humanity has never had access to. Ross Young, CEO and founder of Biosocial Microbiomics. Ross, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.